I have uh, given our secretary to the vestry a letter that I will read to you uh, now. On the Feast of All Saints, November the 1st, 2023, to the wardens and vestry of All Saints Anglican Church. With this letter, in compliance with Canon 33, I seek your permission to resign as the rector of All Saints Parish in Charlottesville, Virginia. I have been the duly elected rector of this parish for close to 23, 30, I'm sorry, 32 years. All Saints has been at the center of most of my adult life. And in many ways, I've grown up in this parish and matured as a pastor, a preach, preacher, a priest in the Church of Jesus Christ. My reason for resigning at this time is to keep a promise I made many years ago when I communicated to this parish the need for me to mentor and prepare a successor. Specifically, Father Sean McDermott, who was not father at that time. Uh, the time has come uh, to effect this promise. So with your consent, it is my intention to serve as your rector until January 6, 2024. The honor and the joy uh, that have been mine for these years is matched only by the honor and joy I have in my family. God bless you all. And please remember me in your prayers as I always will remember you, Father Glenn. So that should clear up any mystery uh, as to what is going on here. In our church, we can't resign uh, from our office. We have to ask permission to resign. And I have to write the same letter uh, to the bishop and to get his permission as well. Well, uh, it's appropriate, especially, to reach this milestone uh, on this day uh, at All Saints uh, when we celebrate All Saints Day. Because when we celebrate, and it has to do with everything I talked about, everything I mentioned in that letter, maturing, as you will, mature as a pastor, uh, as a priest, and as a preacher. Uh, and as we mature alongside one another. At All Saints Day, we celebrate how great human beings can become. We celebrate our heroes, those athletes of God who have gone before us. In the book of Revelation, the saints of God are pictured as all gathered around the enthroned king of kings. And in that splendid vision, uh, those who were once lame leap for joy. Uh, the poor are made rich, the brokenhearted are comforted. And they discover together an ageless joy and happiness that ripens and ripens and grows, but never decays. Those who hunger for God are filled 
The merciful obtain mercy. The pure see God face to face. And those who have suffered, those who have been persecuted, those who have been shunned for Christ's sake, those who have suffered the gleaming blade of martyrdom coming down upon their head, walk upright, joyful, and whole in his golden kingdom. This is what we celebrate. We have dress rehearsal for that, every, uh, for that kingdom every Sunday, every feast day. We put on our best. We dress our priests and deacons as though they were serving in a royal court. We practice this vision. Uh, we worship God. Like the angels who stand before the throne and the elders of the creatures of heaven, we bow our knees to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Ghost. The first time we see someone dressing up in the Bible, uh, they're dressing themselves up. After the fall, Adam and Eve became aware of their nakedness and covered themselves up with fig leaves. But vegetation would never do the job. Leaves pulled from trees would never cover our parentals, our parents' betrayal of God. Something greater is needed. The Bible tells us that God himself provided that greater thing by covering their nakedness with the skins of animals. It's awfully hard for men to tell the truth. A man will always try to pass off his sin as costing only a few fig leaves. But God always tells the truth. His plans for us would cost his own blood. Adam and Eve are dressed then by God in the bloody skins of animals. After the fall, uh, and this too is shown in that image, after the fall, uh, we became slaves to our animal nature. We lost that supernatural endowment from God that allowed us to transcend our animal instincts. And the only way we can get that supernatural grace back is by putting on another garment. One already provided for us. Who are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence do they come? These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their bloods and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The white robes of the saints uh, symbolize the new birth. Now, the Bible says that a great deal about white robes and soil robes. In the world of the apostles, this picture was commonly understood, and it would have been unthinkable in that day to have uh, entered into the temple to worship God wearing a soil robe. The word picture, then, is that of the human condition. But the picture is even more telling when you consider the fact that in those days when a Christian was baptized, they were dressed in new white robes and those robes were again taken to symbolize his new life a new birth so through the sacrament of baptism the god restores the supernatural grace that adam lost are y'all with me saint paul says put ye on the lord jesus christ be clothed with christ and in the revelation 
uh, the disciple that loved Jesus declares, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So here's an image right from the Bible that proclaims the sweet love of God. It's a snapshot of our own lives, a picture of a man or a woman who has stained his life with sin, with self-centeredness, with ambition, selfishness, things done and things left undone. But God has not tossed her away or tossed him away. Like a bridegroom come to rescue his bride from certain death, he has come down to us. Jesus is God who has become one of us and stepped into the water grave of baptism to signify his love and solidarity with his chosen bride. And we are baptized. When we are baptized as Christians, we follow him. But we don't just follow him because we receive in baptism what he didn't receive. He received nothing because he didn't need anything. We receive everything. We receive supernaturally that which by nature we cannot have. And we are regenerated by the Holy Ghost and made a true child of God and grafted into the body of Christ. God does not intend for us to go through life dressed in the bloody skin of animals. God not only forgives men and women, he also gives us a new life. God not only forgives what is past, but he renews and enables us to live a new life in the days to come. He does not merely declare us righteous. He makes us righteous. So we have, last paragraph, we have a twofold vision. We are called to become saints, and we are called to make saints. The world ultimately, the world ultimately, regardless of what we see on the news and on television and what we hear reported, the world ultimately belongs to the church of God. Yes, it does. History belongs to the church of God. The church, and we are not at the mercy of history, and we are not at the mercy of nature. And we are called to serve this present age uh, in the name of Jesus Christ in such a way that we make history. We're called to labor and to give uh, all that we can for that vision. The vision of the spotless bride of Christ gathered from all nations, from every kindred and people and race and ethnicity in the world, a unified humanity, renewed, healed of its self-inflicted wounds, washed in the blood of the Lamb, made one humanity and made holy, not for our own selves and our own sakes, but for Jesus, who loves us and gave himself for us. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.